Mandy, because you did the interview, I'm thinking that you're going to do Welcome to Talking Underwater this episode. <gasps> okay. Oh, my God. I'm being promoted. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Talking Underwater. One water. One podcast. I am Mandy Crispin, Editor-in-Chief of Waterworld. I am Katie Johns, Editor-in-Chief of Stormwater Solutions. And I'm Bob Crossan, Editorial Director of the Endeavor Water Group. In this episode of Talking Underwater, we will discuss EPA's latest proposal to add nine PFAS to the Resource Conservation and Recovery Act as hazardous substances, a public draft testing method for detecting six PPD quinone in stormwater and updates to the lead and copper rule improvements, including public comments that were submitted. Finally, our interview is with Efetayo Venner, Senior Vice President for Arcadis and immediate past president of Water Environment Federation. I spoke with her about the importance of DEI in the water sector, but first some news. U.S. EPA has proposed to add nine per and polyfluoroalkyl substances to the Resource Conservation and Recovery Act, more commonly known as RICRA in spoken language, and they want to add these as hazardous substances to that act. The nine PFOS included are PFOA, PFOS, PFBS, GenX, PFNA, PFHXS, PFDA, PFHXA, and PFBA. This proposal comes as the industry is expecting a final rule on the inclusion of PFAS chemicals in the Comprehensive Environmental Response and Liability Act, more commonly known as CERCLA or the Superfund. We have more coverage on that particular law and act on our websites, and we will link some pieces in our show notes below so that you can get some more information on all of those things. We also have a link to this particular proposal from EPA on our websites as well. For these compounds to be added to RICRA, they must, quote, be shown in scientific studies to have adverse health effects on humans or other life, which the EPA believes to be the case for these particular compounds. And in more EPA news, the agency recently announced the publication of a draft testing method to detect 6-PPD quinone in stormwater and surface waters. According to an EPA press release, quote, 6-PPD is a common tire additive, and its chemical byproduct is 6-PPD quinone. Used for more than six decades in tires, 6-PPD is also found in other rubber products such as footwear, synthetic turf and fill, and synthetic playground surfaces. This draft will give tribes and local governments the resources to better understand stormwater and surface water quality and to inform how and where to put protections in place for aquatic life from dangerous runoff. This draft testing method is now available for use, and the EPA is funding several research initiatives to fill data gaps on 6-PPD quinone. On December 6, 2023, the U.S. EPA proposed improvements to the lead and copper rule. Called the lead and copper rule improvements, EPA says it aims to significantly reduce exposure to lead through drinking water. The proposal builds on the 2021 lead and copper rule revisions and the original 1991 Lead and Copper Rule. Public comment closed on February 5th, 2024 to the tune of 200,178 comments made. 637 of those comments have been approved to be shown on regulations.gov as of this recording. The 212-page proposal states the proposed LCRI strengthens key elements of the rule in three main focus areas, 
replacing all lead service lines, reducing complexity for health, public health protection, and increasing transparency and informing the public. The proposal also includes an updated benefits and costs analysis. It updates the compliance dates and outlines the public participation process. I have not read all 637 comments, but of the <laughs> comments I've seen, all are in agreement that lead needs to be addressed. One anonymous commenter even uses the word noble to describe the U.S. EPA's ambitions and all applaud taking steps. The main point of contention I see in the comments, which is not a surprise, is around funding and the 10-year deadline for replacement. Some cite the challenges of all parties scrambling for materials and workforce in an overstimulated, inflated market economy because of this time frame. And some simply say they don't have the resources and never will within this time frame. But the more interesting argument that emerges is the matter of states' rights and local legislation. Again, I have not reviewed all the comments, but a sampling of various associations' comments reveals some conflict over whose court this ball should fall into, and one even points out an actual conflict between newly proposed federal law and existing local law, stating, quote, in some states, such as Washington, this is not legal. Interested li listeners can find a link to the register as well as the link to the published public comments in the show notes. And then for our interview today, we have Efetayo Venner. She was the Water Environment Federation president in 2023 and is the senior vice president at Arcadis. Today, she'll be talking about her initiatives in diversity, equity, and inclusion. Fatayo Venner was the Water Environment Federation President in 2023 and is the Senior Vice President at Arcadis. Today, we'll be talking about her initiatives in diversity, equity, and inclusion. Fatayo, welcome to Talking Underwater. For those unfamiliar, what is diversity, equity, and inclusion, and what is it not? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, for the definition of DEI, I'll probably use some version of the WEF one since we put a quite a bit of effort um, into coming up with it for the water sector. But generally, diversity is where you're encompassing all the various experiences, strengths, skills, perspectives, personal characteristics, cultures, and backgrounds that are represented by and within a community, which could be your workplace, associations, you know, the water community in general. And then with equity, it really means striving to where you create an environment that everyone has the opportunity and access to reach their full potential and that no one is disadvantaged because of their group identity or another socially determined circumstance. And that inclusion is really where you embrace and celebrate the different perspectives, voices, um, values, and needs of the individual with really a goal of embracing um, a culture where everyone gets feels like they're being heard um, respected, valued, and then included. And I'll say what diversity is not, certainly from some of the work that I've seen that, you know, been involved in as far as, you know, misconceptions, it's not solely focused on race and gender. You know, I kind of just alluded to that in my de definition, but diversity, there's so many different perspectives um, in our workplaces that it's important to identify where we're lacking and making sure that all of those um, various per perspectives are being brought to the forefront 
And it's also not a zero-sum game where it's meant to, you know, exclude now the folks that are maybe potentially in the minority, but rather to make the effort to make sure that we are including those that aren't included but should. Um, and so, you know, I think those are the two common things I have heard over the last few years of being really engaged in this space. Thank you. Um, so why is DEI important for the water industry specifically? Um, so I think fundamentally, you know, in water, you know, water is life. And so a lot of what we do in the various ways that we all um, contribute to the water sector directly impacts people, probably in a way that most other industries do not. And if we're looking to make sure that we have a sustainable outcome for everyone in our communities, I think it's really important um, to, to have, you know, DNI is really important. And there's a there's a few ways I think that that kind of shows up. I mean, first, we've made a lot of improvements, you know, in water, um, certainly in the U.S., but globally. But not everyone is necessarily benefiting from that, and and many of those folks are people who have been historically uh, marginalized. Um, and oftentimes, you know, our facilities might be in places of folks who have been historically marginalized or not as resourced, um, or you know those are the persons that are most impacted when we're building things and so on. So um, really sort of being able to have that context of making sure that everyone gets to share in the benefits of, you know, improvements to our water um, infrastructure and access to those services that are so important. Um, but also the water sector, you know, over the last, especially over the last several years and accelerated since COVID is really changing in how we think about it. And a lot of um, the folks who were in the, the water sector and maybe were involved in the planning and design of water infrastructure, especially, they were, you know, the traditional what you would think of, the engineers, the scientists and things like that. And um, as we're moving forward and certainly moving towards, you know, being more one water concepts and circular water economy, it's really clear that we need to really be focusing on things like communications, you know, how do we deal with people better, you know, digital, all of those things and making sure that we're bringing those people into the tent. So you're of course already in that way, looking to welcome different people into the industry and making sure that they can work together to create solutions. So it's really important that we create an atmosphere that is inclusive um, and that all of those persons have to thrive so that we can solve a lot of the challenges that we have. And then of course, you know, everywhere you go, you hear workforce challenges, right? You know, In water, we have an issue where we do not have you know, a lot of enough of the workforce um, across the board to do a lot of the things that we need to do over the next several years. So we certainly can't afford to be unwelcoming to have not people not want to come into the sector and then worse, maybe come in, but then they leave because it's not a welcoming um, atmosphere. It's not an atmosphere where they can thrive and do their best work. So um, I think really making sure that we uh, focus on DNI in the sense that we are um, welcoming to folks. There's a lot of people who don't know about the sector. Um, and then there's, you know, we really can't afford to be turning away people or having them leave. So, you know, those are kind of some of the reasons why the industry as a whole has really been focused um, on DNI, although outside of it also just being the right thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if I'm picking up what you're saying, it's also about different kinds of job functions also. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. On the WEF end, particularly um, is where it shows up. I and mean, when we when we have talked about um, diversity, of course, we, we do talk about um, 
you know, gender and race and sexual orientation and all of those things that a lot of people think of. But for us, even as an association, we have talked a lot about, you know, we're very heavily represented by engineers, um, but that is not the entirety of the water sector. And that is becoming even less so. So where, you know, how are we doing to like bringing the operations folks, the maintenance folks, the perspective of those that are in construction that construct, you know, our things, the manufacturers, all of those kinds of things. Um, and so really sort of trying to broaden what we think about um, as far as who we are engaging um, with and how we engage with them. Excellent. That's quite an, uh, inspiring. I'm new to the water industry as well and um, been here since April. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> it's a great place to be. It is a great place to be. Um, and I'm just, yeah, I'm seeing a lot of communications folks and, and people, you know, obviously from my perspective, so it's like, well, these people are really important to this whole, the entire, you know, the endeavor as a whole. So that's very inspiring what you say. Um, okay. Uh, how have you influenced DEI initiatives in the organizations that you have worked with? Um, so I'll start with Arcadis. Um, you know, I've, I've worked at Arcadis for, I think, 23 years now. So my, the entirety of my career. And, you know, when I started in Arcadis, and it is still the case that there's not a lot of people who sort of look like me, um, especially at higher positions. And so, you know, especially in the last, I would say five, maybe five or so years, I really kind of made an effort to see what I can do to influence the organization. And then, you know, I'll talk a little bit about the sector, uh, but I've been engaged, um, you know, when we've set up more recently um, in the last few years, our global affinity groups. And in particular, the ethnicity and heritage, which is kind of where I sort of um, naturally uh, um, gravitate to. And um, in the US uh, in 2020, we formed a uh, Black and Latinx uh, task force to really look at how we can improve retention and growth opportunities for folks from that background within our organization. Uh, we had done quite a bit of um, data analysis to see that those groups are the ones that were really um, not being retained as well as maybe other groups and also having um, not moving up in the organization um, as, as well as we would have liked. And so, you know, really helping to kind of spearhead some efforts to kind of see where the issues were and then how we could implement some things to kind of address that. So um, that's on the Arcadis side. I think in the WEF side, I've been a lot more involved, um, starting with when I started on the board. This is my seventh year on the board. Um, and so I really had, you know, started bringing that up quite a bit initially. And that was around the same time that we were doing a minor refresh of our strategic plan. And so the board kind of agreed to put uh, a DNI related goal into our strategic plan. And I helped to spearhead quite a bit of that um, effort on behalf of the board. And so, you know, again, that was incorporated into our strategic plan. It's still in there um, in our new one that we just launched a year ago or so now. Um, but yeah, we started off doing an assessment of where we were at. We hired a consultant to do that. We had a um, you know, training of our leadership, you know, we trained ourselves. We also had a consultant that did some training with our various volunteer leaders. Um, we ended up forming a DNI task force at first and then a DNI committee for our board. And that has kind of expanded to where, you know, our house of delegates, which is what represents our member associations also has a lot of work that they're doing uh, and facilitating work with our um, 
you know, member associations, many of whom are also starting to um, form their own DNI committees. And so we just continue to sort of build upon that work of attacking the things that we've sort of identified as what we need to change. But one of the key things that we did when we started was that what our goal was to create a cultural change in the organization and not just kind of talking about, well, yes, this is great and let's talk about DNI, but how do we facilitate a cultural change in the organization to make it much more welcoming to people, but also to really inspire that change within the sector where it was also very much needed. And you know, out of those outcomes, we have done things like establish our inflow program, which is introducing future leaders to opportunities in water, which is also something I'm very very fortunate that my work organization also sponsors um, for WEF. Um, and we bring, it's a completely sponsored and paid for um, program where we bring folks from various schools from underrepresented racial and ethnic minority groups and underserved areas um, to, to come to experience our national conference and get them connected to others who work in water so that they can find employment in the sector, which many have, but then also have their resources and the mentorship so they continue to, to thrive. Um, we've started you know, affinity group breakfasts where um, folks from similar backgrounds have an opportunity to gather um, when many of them, you know, I can speak for myself, are often in offices where we're one of one. Um, so it kind of increases a sense of um, belonging. There's just so many things, so many things that have been going on now to the point that as of the end of this year, we actually, probably the first water organization, certainly only one I know of, that will actually have a full-time culture and belonging um, officer. And that just speaks to the demand and the amount of things that are happening around that to make um, WEF and the water sector a little bit more inclusive, equitable, and diverse. So yeah, quite a bit going on. Amazing. Yeah. Training, training, training and follow up, right? You can't just throw the training at people and go, oh, well, we're talking about it now. Check that box. It's done. Right. <laughs> um, okay. Well, this is excellent. So thinking about the influence that you've had, um, what advice do you have for other water professionals seeking to do the same? Um, so I think when people, a couple things, I think when people start it, they're hoping that it's quick. Um, and it's not. <laughs> You know, if we could solve it quickly, we would not have a lot of the issues that we have. It's doable, um, but it's, you know, challenging. And so I think when you're embarking on it, you just have to be prepared for that, that there's work involved. Um, and you may move forward and take a few steps backward, but certainly what I can look at over the last six years, even of the WEF journey and looking at the Arcadis journey, what seems like baby steps when you look back, you're like, wow, I can't believe that all of this has happened. Once you actually commit to saying we're going to do more than talking. Um, and I actually got inspired to sort of start doing this and more, it was sort of a, you know, something I was always interested in. I always mentored folks, especially black females. Um, but I was reporting on our, you know, Arcadis, our makeup of Arcadis as part of a, a project that I was doing. And we were in between um, task orders. And I didn't realize I had to continue doing that even when we were not working. And so the person at the client said, hey, you need to give me your back reports. And so I said, okay, I'll go to our HR department and I will, you know, and I'll get the information. And she said, oh, don't worry. I've been looking at this information for five years from you and I've never seen a change. And I said, what, really? 
And we'd had diversity initiatives and things like that. And so, so of course, me and my nerdy engineering self said, let me go <laughs> actually look at the data because I have it. And sure enough, she was absolutely correct. And so that really sort of crystallized in my mind that like, yes, what are we not doing when we're just sort of talking about it? Like, what are we doing to sort of move that needle? And it's really heartening to see. I mean, it's not as much as I would like to see, but I've been, you know, I'm continuing to look at it because the project is in different phases. And to see those numbers, you know, like when I first started, you know, maybe like I was one of two or so black females in leadership and to now look at the number and it says 11 or something. Um, I couldn't have imagined that then. And after, you know, looking at five years where there was no change to say, OK, within one or two years, there is change, maybe not as much as I like, but we are going in the right direction. The same mm -hmm. thing you're seeing at WEF. So really, it's a long game and um, just being very persistent with it. Um, but I also think starting with the data and starting with really doing listening. I mean, in both instances, we really took a hard look at the data because it doesn't lie. Um, and we had a lot of data in both cases, but we weren't really like analyzing it. And so a lot of things came out of there that was really helpful. Um, we also did really um, independent focus groups where we, we were not present as leaders, but we had an independent consultant do the talking um, for various groups together and then synthesizing, providing that feedback to us. And then once you're doing that, to really actually listen to what people are telling you, right? Like if you are wanting to include people um, and wanting to make things better, when they tell you what could help, you should listen. Um, and so really, um, and, and not sort of centering ourselves and deciding that we do know best. Um, if we did, we wouldn't have this challenge. Um, and so, you know, really trying to do that, you know, I, I, when we have, um, I think that's really what I would say and just really listen. Um, and, but also what I have found also is that making, that people know now, at least on the website for sure, that we actually will hear what they have to say, even if it hurts when they tell us something we really don't wanna hear about our organization, we will take it in, you know, look at it and and see what we can do to improve. And we did, you know, we so now we get more of that, um, yeah. but in a spirit of collaboration and not of a, you know, attack. So that's that's kind of what I would say. A few things there. Excellent. Um, okay, so as the water industry stands today, then after some of these challenges, or, you know, some of the you're taking on the challenge of it now. Um, what initiatives are needed most right now? Is the landscape changing at all? Is it bottlenecked anywhere? Um, where where can it where can it move to? While we've made a little bit more strides, I think there's a lot more awareness of the need for DNI. It is, there, we've got a, a long way to go. I think where we need to get to is beyond sort of just the talking um, and where the initial leadership is um, bought in and just sort of the, let's set up an affinity group, but into the, how do we sort of, you know, look at our data and address what are the real sort of systemic issues so that we can address them. We are not gonna solve these issues and bring more people to the sector, keep more people into the sector, um, move different groups, have you know leadership on our on our workplaces representing our communities without doing work. And that has to permeate through the culture of the entire organization. And we have to kind of really identify the root causes and, and put the money in to address it. And that's where I'm seeing it's not yet happening um but hopefully as more and more setting that example um 
others are following and certainly a lot of our incoming folks you know that are coming into the sector are, are demanding that that's done which is really good but we've, we've got quite a bit of work to do I think yeah well as you said cultural change that that takes time so um moving in the right direction though but you know related to cultural change one of the things that I will share like you know initially in when in your in WEF on the board when I would sort of bring things up and again I'm just talking from my lived experience so at the time even I wasn't even purporting to represent stuff, but sort of just, I would bring things up and, you know, folks not necessarily from that background would say, oh, I never really thought about that. Mm -hmm. And even just fast forward to where you look at the culture of the board now, no one person has to bring that up. You've sort of almost been trained where you see things that you would not have seen before. Um, mm -hmm. And it's not then on one person to continuously bring that up. And that's, I think those, are, and, and, and action is taken, right? Somebody brings that up, we look into it, action is taken, um, and we just continue having a plan to move forward. Um, and so I think that's where we really need to sort of get to, that it isn't just like a group over here that's tackling it, and one person or two people are sort of bringing it up, that, but everyone is sort of engaged. I think we all kind of pay a part in the problem, so to speak, so we all have to play a part in that solution. Yes, I think that's a really important epiphany is to be able to um, understand and admit that you don't know everything from your own perspective. And and then from that place, then people can start to understand, you know, it becomes, you know, like you said, second nature almost like, oh, wait, I don't know everything. So, <laughs> yeah. And one of the things that really helped, um, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of design thinking. I'm not, no. Um, and I don't purport to be an expert, but it's mostly used in like, like product development where it started. And so, you know, a lot of times when folks, the traditional way of sort of designing something is I determine what I want to design and then I design it. And it's more focused on what is the outcome. And then I design what is needed to sort of get to that outcome. And I'm constantly sort of, I'm thinking about the person I'm creating that solution for in that design. And so we sort of apply that to our aspect it's a challenge that we wanted to solve we wanted to get somewhere and we actually and part of a really key part of design thinking is the empathy several exercises where we would sort of create a persona for the groups that we thought were not fully represented within the organization um or had challenges that were unique to them and sort of you put your mind in the your yourself in the persona of that person. And then you're like, okay, how does that person experience WEF? And it's not you looking at that so that you're solving challenges. You're putting your mind in that person. And that really helped a lot of people to see things and, and foster discussions that otherwise we had not been as successful with doing. And that really helped, I think, to create momentum amongst a broader set of people to kind of create changes because now they sort of really empathize with folks that they weren't necessarily that person. Yes. Yeah. That reminds me of like user experience or something like that, which I've been interested yeah. in. And so yeah. then we designed, you know, what we were designing our programs was for that person and not just sort of a DNI program or mm -hmm. an initiative for an initiative's sake. Right. Um, okay. So I did want to bring up, um, ADA accommodations or Americans with Disabilities, the Americans with Disabilities Act. Um, I think there's a little bit of misconception about what DEI is. And um, you were talking before about there's various job functions that are included in this, that, you know, there's a certain amount of awareness about workforce and then there's workforce challenges and stuff like that. So 
Um, I think people usually, when they think of DEI, they go, okay, it's race and gender, just like what you were saying. But it really is way broader than that. So um, can you talk about ADA accommodations and how those are included in DEI um, initiatives? Sure. And so, I mean, ADA, uh, Americans with Disabilities Act, uh, you know, certainly when you talk about the broad um, spectrum there, when I talked about diversity and how it was way more than, you know, what we thought about, that, of course, would be included. And you can be sort of multiple of those things, um, you know, even and some work. It is included for sure. I know when we were doing some initial work, again, some of that assessment on the Arcata side, I think mm-hmm. those were that group was the group that, you know, maybe that were neurodiversion or had access issues were the folks that maybe felt not as included um, or overlooked. So I think um, the feedback that we had gotten was, yes, in the talk of DNI and you're talking about gender diversity and all of that, that they felt like they weren't necessarily as, um, their their dis- discussion of their issues were not um, as much in the forefront. Um, and so we do have an affinity group around that access in your diversity and, you know, address, I think it's important to sort of move beyond like an ADA compliance issue into mm-hmm. really sort of, again, similar to what I had talked about, understanding what their needs are and working with them to uh, find solutions for that. On the WEF side, you know, some of the things that we've been really looking at is access in our conferences. Uh, and again, putting yourself in the mindset or making sure that we are talking with folks who may have access needs uh, on on what they face when they approach either our website or interact with our webinars or interact with um, our conferences and things like that. And so how we can make that more much more accessible for them. We've started including things like uh, wellness rooms, prayer rooms, you know, things like that at our conferences and, and being mindful of you know, food restrictions and all sorts of things like that, that historically we haven't necessarily done, but to really make sure that we are considering the full spectrum of our membership and the folks who are sort of engaged mm-hmm. with us or attend our conferences and things like that, um, to make sure that they're feeling included and they're 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 also able to come to our conferences and engage um, and bring their um, perspectives. I think the other thing that we're also making a lot of effort on the Arcata side is access like by design and as we're designing also considering things you know we design wastewater plants we design transportation all of those things how are we incorporating and considering that which also means making sure that we're reflecting of you know the folks either working with us or reaching out to folks that have access issues and everything so that our designs are better and more sustainable as well yeah. Okay. So it's it's really at the crux of it. It's not about just being compliant or correct beyond compliance. Beyond compliant and embracing. Yes. Okay. Love it. Um, what do people need to know about DEI that you think most people don't realize? I think I talked about it quite a bit. I mean, it's yeah. I think we've already covered. Yeah. It, it's it's. I think it's really it's very important for our our, our sector. I think in the the sustainability of our sector. I think people do realize that, but I think they realize they don't realize that there's a lot more work that needs to go into it than what we have, and it's not a it's not a thing that some folks over in an affinity group do. We mm-hmm. all have responsibility for that. Um, you know, we may have a DNI leader or a champion or affinity groups and various spaces for various things, but fundamentally we sort of all have a part to play in that um, individually and sort of systemically as a group, whether that be the workforce 
or whatnot. And um, I think more people, the more people recognize that um, and their role in it, the better. And as and I think we talked about earlier that I think a lot of people have the mis misconception that it is limited to race and gender, and it's really not. Um, those are the sort of obvious visible things, but mm -hmm. there's so many aspects. I think that. Um, including all of making sure that we include all those various perspectives and that people can bring themselves to our work and the solutions that we develop. I think the better off we are as a sector and the better solutions we create with ultimately for our communities um, since water is so important. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time today. All right, thank you for that interview. And now on to some housekeeping. So first for Wastewater Digest, our Young Professionals nominations are still open. You can access them at www.dmag.com young hyphen pros hyphen nomination. Fill out the form. We do request a headshot of the person that you are nominating so that we can add it to our feature should they be chosen for that particular uh, feature in our May-June issue. And also check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at symbol Wastewater Digest. I'm putting up some videos, interviews this month with executives in the water industry from Stantec, Veolia North America, HDR, and Jacobs, all of whom have talked about what they see, where they see growth in their business for 2024, what headwinds they are expecting to happen, some larger global and national trends that are driving the marketplace, and really the regulatory frameworks that we talked about for most of this episode in the news. So uh, check them all out. They'll be going out weekly on Thursdays. And nominate your young pro for drinking water at waterworld.com slash young pros. Nominations are open until March 15th. And first from Water Solutions, our first webinar of 2024 is coming up on February 21st. Join us for a presentation on combining green and gray infrastructure for stormwater management and flood risk reduction. You can register at bit.ly slash febweb24. Additionally, we also have our Young Pros nominations and Industry Icon nominations are open till the end of February. You can nominate at stormwater.com slash nominations. And with that, don't forget to like, subscribe, share on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Spotify. You can reach us at talkingunderwater at endeavorbdb.com to share your thoughts. And don't forget to follow us on X at TUW Podcast. Thanks so much for listening.